0: With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests, so please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children, and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people.
1: The producers of this podcast... Recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded.
0: They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past,
1: present and those emerging. This is the key point where I go, no, it's all crime from here on out. That's all I'm going to be. That's all I want to be. The game changes then. You can't stop the police, which you just keep racking shit up. It now takes you to another level that it hasn't been before.
0: Our guest today is Nathan. He's the owner and director of a successful gym called Peak Shape. He's a life coach and a mentor specialising in working with at-risk young people. So why is he a guest on Australian True Crime, I hear you ask? Well, it's because this is quite a career change for Nathan, who committed himself to being a baddie as a pre-teen and began his life of crime with the backing of his doting nan. Nathan like so many men we've spoken to and about over the years on Australian true crime spent his early childhood dealing with a familiar set of circumstances that led him to turn his untapped potential to criminality unlike so many others Nathan has a truly self-reflective streak and it eventually helped him find contentment and a living in the straight world this is a roller coaster ride with a dead set likeable rogue by the name of Nathan but it's also a true testament to the human capacity for change.
1: Interesting, I suppose. Like fairly normal primary school years. Bullied a lot actually, which is funny. What for? Uh, no particular reason. Just the friends you'll be fine with week are the ones bullying, bullying you the next week. I'm mm. uh, in trouble a bit, but like used to get in trouble on purpose so I get suspended so I didn't have to deal with the bullying. Once you get in trouble a few times, it's quite a small school. It's usually pinpointed at you whether you're guilty until proven innocent. So once you get that narrative in your head, you're naughty, well, you just go on with it, right? Because it gives you your status.
0: So if you, you were trying to get suspended not go to school, what were you doing at, with that time?
1: Uh, well, if I was suspended, mum was at work and dad drove trucks. He was never home. So I just, and my nan's house uh, was directly across the road from the school. I'm in year seven and uh, my first foray into entrepreneurship was selling cigarettes, and Nan was a smoker. So she, behind mum's back, she used to go and buy me the packets so that I could go and sell them for a dollar each at school. Did you get busted? No, I never even got caught. <laughs> we, were pretty, we were pretty swifty with it. My mate that I did it with, his older brother's in year nine, and I had a couple of year nines that were, I don't know, standover, I suppose you'd call it. Uh, they would just, I'd give them a couple here and there, and they'd sort of corner the market for us.
0: So you were paying older kids. To, as muscle,
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah.
0: So, what was the next move after after the smokes?
1: Uh, well, I didn't stay at school very long. Year seven, eight, just couldn't behave. It was just a dead set class clown. Wouldn't do any of my homework. It's really disruptive. And they actually done the best thing they ever could have done for me. They, my home room coordinator, said, "Look, mate, it's just not happening. No matter what we do, drag me into the careers office. They had, and they those a classified ad for a diesel mechanic job." And they said, We think you should go for this. And anyway, dad knew that bloke who'd done the interview. So I instantly got the job. I'd only just turned 15. So they put me through TAFE. They did all that. I kind of remember it being pretty turbulent, like the whole home situation. And because by this stage, dad had real, I must have realized it was done with him and mum. So if he, he probably needed to get one of us on side. Uh, and that was me. Dad's side hustle was ripping shit off the back of trucks. <laughs> The trucks he was driving, that was heavy supplemented, supplemented income. But back then, truck drivers were paid shit, mm-hmm. interstate truck drivers. Uh, they worked way more hours than it happens now. Yeah. And uh, they had drug habits.
0: Was he taking stimulants to, to drive
1: yeah. long shifts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to stay awake and do what he did. It started out with small things. And by the time I was brought in, I said, hand, because by this stage, he's taking full pellets off. He's taken full pallets of patio heaters off on the front lawn at night time. He'd wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning on his way through them and rip, pull it all back. We'd rip it off, unload all the boxes, put all the empty boxes back on, Jeez. fuck with the invoices. He was strategic about it. I'll give you that much. I learned craft from him.
0: The craft.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh, he didn't do it. He did it properly, and we'd spend hours in there doing it. And that was like my apprenticeship to yeah. being naughty, I suppose. Tom, I'm. F- 15 and a bit when I first get this job. I'm probably about 16 when I fully fuck off from home. because the bloke that done the job interview and they took me under, under his wing at work. I was living on his land room floor by about 16 because they're about 30 at this stage. Yeah. And they're getting on it every weekend.
0: Getting on the
1: get, gear? Yeah, on oh no, Eckies, on speed. Right. Um, they're, just, they're just party animals. I'm probably introduced to drugs at about 15 and a half for a friend. That's the first night I got on the speed and there was no going back from there. Just partying every weekend. So by 15 and a half, 16, I'm in town every weekend partying. So I'm staying at this bloke's house. And I'm going home during the week just fucking cooked. Pretty much falling asleep under the, under trucks on a creeper. Like I'm just a useless drug addict by the time I'm 15 in, at work.
0: You're getting it from your dad's contacts?
1: Well, I did start getting it for dad. So I'm getting it for a third of the price and just giving it amongst my mates and getting on it for nothing. And that goes on for a little while. Mm, so and then dad in that period, dad's taught me how to like how to cut it, right? Because he's decided he's gonna start selling to his mates too, right? So he teaches me how to how to crush it, how to how to cut it. So then I've turned that into a little side hustle.
0: So you and your dad become dealers, um, like speed dealers by the time you're in your late teens?
1: Yeah. Yep. yep. By the time I'm sixteen, I'm full blown getting on the drugs every weekend. Everything we can get our hands on. Bongs, eckies, speed, everything. We're just devouring it. A couple of the boys are moving stuff, but it's just to friends. It's not in huge amounts to, you know, as to what it got to later. But it's mostly about partying. So I've I've kept my apprenticeship this whole time. Yeah. Started to do okay at it and moved up through the ranks. By the time I'm 19, I'm foreman and I've developed a a diagnostic skill set, which is like very valuable in the dealership. But that group of friends that I had then from sort of my age 16, to about 19 or 20, they've left to go overseas. When I step back, that's probably like a clear point of like, because I chose to not go on the first overseas trip with them because I wanted to stay. I was starting to get some success in my mechanic job and I wanted to stay and work on that career. Ooh. That was like a strategic choice I made. But what it did do is left me with a inner group of friends. So I've met a bunch of people that I still know now. They're, they've had an even probably worse childhood than I have. So they're into shit that I haven't. Got my hands onto yet? All so,
0: around Aubrey, we're still in.
1: Yeah, all around Aubrey. Yeah. Yep.
0: Okay.
1: That's when selling drugs becomes more of a a profitable business. Like it's not just about getting on; it's actually about making money because you're judged how good you are off whether you make a profit off this stuff or not.
0: And it's a small enough town where you become pretty well known if if that's your go. If you if you're yeah. really shifting drugs professionally.
1: Yeah, you're known. You're very well known pretty quickly. Yep. I think by. Age 20, a huge bunch of disruption happens in the dealership. Managers get sacked. The, the the knife goes through the place. And I'm foreman and somehow I'm promoted to workshop manager at about 20 or something. But I've taken the piss by this stage because I'm starting to sell drugs by this stage. And this is around the time that ice is in. And I can literally do no wrong in this place. I can walk around doing whatever the hell I want. I've got a company car. I've got a phone. I'm pissed off with no no one asking where I am for hours on end. And some of that time, I'm just out there out dropping drugs off, maybe having a press of the pokies, just going to get on it. Then I come back to work. So I don't know. I've got no insight into how fucked up that is, mm. but I'm taking the absolute piss. And I just started smoking ice when I was 21. Whole bunch of new friends. All my other friends that I was friends with for around that 16 year, old, they're still over in Europe. Working on a, you know, having a working holiday. Mum's completely changed by this stage. I've watched too much underbelly by this stage. And yeah, yeah. And now we're aging. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And then, you know, you're starting to think you can do whatever the fuck you want. Rules don't apply to you. And that's about the time I meet Bo's mum. Mm-hmm. And by this stage, I've still got the work phone. I'm still supposed to be at work. But I'm not rocking up. And they pull me and they go, mate, what's going on? And I've just gone, no, I don't give a fuck about this job anymore. I was hand on the phone. I said, "I'm going to go on holidays for a while." I had, I'd been there seven years or something at this stage, so I had so much leave built up. I could, so I had three months off. But in that three months off, I've just gone fucking. This is it. This is all you do. You just you're just selling drugs every day. You're getting into everything else you can. And in this meantime, like a lot of things have happened at the dealership. Another company has brought Volvo trucks in Aubrey. They've built. They're going to build this big new dealership. And somehow, somehow, I've ended up back. They've wanted me back.
0: Christ, you must be a good mechanic.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got amazing. A, I've got a way of getting things done. Yeah. <laughs> um, But I say I'm pretty cooked. I'm paranoid. Like I'm fucking thinking the jacks are after me all the time. And yeah, I did go back to the new dealership and I took a service advisors job, which I was very good at. I still must have been only twenty-one or twenty-two. So this is like
0: it's like 2011,
1: 2012. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Sounds about right. Big flash dealership. But I'm still fucking smoking ice every day. Like this is every day, you? Absolutely every day, all day. And it's just the pipes just sitting in the front, in the top drawer next to my desk. By Thursday, I'm usually like nodding off at my desk and cooked, staying out all night, running around. But I'm still pretty good at that job. Like, and the clientele grows, I put all these other systems in place, servicing schedules, went and found new clients. And I've seen an opening to start my own business because there's no truck detailers in town. The truck Mm. dealership I work for aren't getting their trucks detailed. So I'm doing, I'm working in the office during the day. Smoking ice all day, staying, and then after everyone leaves, I'm detailing their trucks for them and I'm invoicing them for that. So I'm getting paid double, more than double. Mm. But that starts into me with starting my own business, which means I've now got access to more money. Dad always said to me when he was young when I was when I was younger and I used to watch him get the spoon out and have a charge in the truck, have a have some speed. He would say, all right, don't tell your mother you've seen this, but I only do it so I can get me job done. So I just think, well, I can make ice then to detail more trucks and i make more money, blah, 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 yeah. so I can work longer. So there's my justification. But then I've got no rules. I'm in my shirt at 2, 3 in the morning and then I might go home for 2 or 3 hours at 4 o'clock, get back up at 7 or 8 and do it all over again, rinse, repeat. So I'm about 21, 22 and I start that. Dad comes on board. It's kind of his idea to start the business. It was I seen the opening. He pushed me to do it and then he comes on board as well because he wants to stop driving trucks, which didn't work for very long. I'm in too deep, too quick, and I'm seeing money I've never seen before coming in. I've got no skills whatsoever on how to run a business. Didn't yeah. understand how it worked. I took the $11,000 payout I got from my old job, which was long service and all my annual leave, and I dumped that into starting the business. Had no idea about cash flow, cash management. So that probably lasted about 12 months, and um, I had to shut it. I went driving trucks. I'm with Bo's mum well and truly at this stage. We're young. Yeah, not, Bo's not an idea or even conceived yet. Somehow I've paid back most of the debt. I've, made, I've kept the shed I had for the detailing business, but I've we've now, like between me and Sarah, we've flipped that into having 30 grand in savings. Oh, wow. Like, all right, let's buy a house. Almost about to settle down to be normal and then I even thought about getting married. Um, we bought a block of land, but that all got halted by was a debt for something, not even a jet ski I had, which I swapped for a stolen jet ski and half a bag of ice. So I had the stolen one. Had no key with it though, and it was too hard to get the thing programmed anymore. They clamped down and all that stuff. So I was just sitting there So sort of like, not only could I not sell the jet ski to recoup the debt, that I the loan that I got to get the first one, the legit, legitimate one. So the bank comes looking for me for the money, and I'm so deep in debt with the business trying to manage all that that i have just let it go. And then I get a court judgment, which is like the worst kind of debt you can get, because they start garnishing your wages oh, without telling no. you.
0: So it's just like this really dumb fuck up, actually. Yeah. The jet ski. Yeah, yeah. After yeah. everything you've gotten away with, dating all the way back to Nan and the Smokes, this stupid cock-up over the jet ski.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I swapped the legitimate one, which I yeah. paid quite a lot of money for, to a bloke who we were getting ice off. Mm. Uh, so he gives me half a bag of ice plus a stolen one. The stolen one was better, mind you. I
0: would hope so, my friend.
1: Much better. Just I needed, hope so, otherwise just, I, just I would have been furious. <laughs> the worst part is I had we had the 30 grand for the block of land. Yeah. It was this beautiful block of land, and we're going to put this beautiful house on it because the process became so hard, it was like, ah, fuck this. Fuck them. I'm going to keep the 30 grand. Yeah, because you had the shits. And I think I even said to Sarah, if we don't get this loan, I'm going to blow the whole lot on drugs. And this would have been about 2015, October or something. I'm still driving trucks. And what happened is we go on a holiday and I've decided to change truck driving jobs to where dad was working for this new flash truck. And where it really went fucked up, I got caught coming out of Sydney. They pulled me over and drug tested me at Goulburn. Then what happens when you get drug tested, you get arrested, take them out to the police station, and um, you lose your license on the spot in that state. So, now you've got to sit here, mate. Can't go anywhere. 24 hours. Yeah, sure. Waited till it was dark. Sit in your truck. Yeah, smoked what was left of the ice.
0: Yeah, he's just what? He said that to you and then driven away.
1: Yeah, and they don't drop you back to the truck either. They take you back into the Goulburn police station. They they charge you and bail you. Um, so,
0: and then you walk out the front door of the police station. Yeah.
1: So then I'm like, are well, you going to drive me back to the truck on the freeway? No. Nah. Uh-huh. So you get a taxi back to the freeway, mm. back to the truck. I'm like, well, what am I going to do here? I have to tell my boss this, this has happened and I've got no license in this state. And sort of rattling some ideas in my head and I'm smoking what's left and I'm going, well, how am I going to get back home? Because you've got a full logbook out. Mm. Anyway, I've hatched a fucking plan, got it done. Got the truck back to Aubrey, and I'm allowed to drive in another state. Right. So I've just said to him, I said, look, I'll do another night for you. Then I'll come back, pull my stuff out and I'll leave so he's let me go to Melbourne that night. He didn't want to know nothing about it. He's no. just like flipped out. So I've driven down to Melbourne that night. I didn't make it. I rolled the truck. So it's come off the side of the road into, towards a bunch of trees. It's gone into the grass off the side of the road, back up on both lanes and landed on its side.
0: So obviously, that goes without saying, could have killed someone. Yeah. Could like, killed, killed yourself mm. and could have killed God knows how many other people.
1: Yeah. Not a scratch on me. Standing on the passion to windscreen. Wow. Um, just looking for the pipe in my logbook, the things I need to hide i would brought brought a f I brought a thousand neckies in the time this has happened too and they're in the look they in the locker box inside the truck, so I've had a client inside the truck and get them out.
0: You are everyone's worst fear on the highway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. On and, this night. Not and, now,
0: but on this night. Yes. And
1: everyone's thinking I don't give a fuck, but I will give you more my deeper understanding of this later. Cause that's like four hundred thousand dollars of equipment you've just thrown away. Your job's gone. And that didn't even occur to me until like a few hours later. I'm like, oh, fuck, I've a job. And yeah. this age I'm about to lose my license just to recurring too many points. Things have started to really go off to uh, go off the hill. Mm. And I get a mate to come pick me up from the truck accident. And uh that little micro sleep I had when I crashed, that's the only sleep I had for the next four or five days then. Oh, wow. And I just went full till didn't, didn't didn't even go straight home, went back to my mate's house. Didn't tell Sarah, I didn't tell dad No one. I said to Sarah, this is like this is the key point where I go, No, it's all crime from here on out. And that's all I'm gonna be. And that's all I wanna be. And like a sort of clear sit down and sit her down, and I'm like, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go back to selling ice and I don't give a fuck what I've got to do to, to fucking be good at it, make it as big, a, best of business I can. So that's 2016-ish. Mm-hmm. So I've got no license by this stage. So there's no more stopping for the police. When you get pulled over, you just got to keep going because you've got no license. And I didn't get a license back until three years ago. The game changes then. You can't stop the police, which you just keep racking shit up. It now takes you to another level. That it hasn't been before, it escalates. And once you start running from the police, no, normal society laws don't apply to you anymore. You you assume, you decide that you can do what you like. Sarah sticks around, fuck knows why. But I did start the detailing business again. I know you can't just rely on drug money because it's not consistent all the time. I go and see a bloke I know who's also, and I said I set up myself up in their workshop as their mechanic. And I sell all I'll do your truck detailing as well. So I've got this shed and that's home base. So I'm selling drugs from there to this bloke's driver. He's got a little fleet of trucks. I'm selling to all of his drivers. So they're my main customers. His operations manager is my main customer and I'm selling from the shed and I'm fixing his trucks for him. But I'm neck deep in crime by now. If there's anything anything I can get my hands on, I'm doing it. Moving as much gear as I can, trying to set up runners, people to move it for you, trying to expand it, meeting some much more serious people than ever than I ever was there's a driving charge in there somewhere and that's the first time I get pinched on something. I get police bail on that charge.
0: Is this the first time you're really becoming known to police?
1: Yeah. That charge is still ages away from being heard. In the meantime, I'm trying to solicit a car deal from a bloke I'm selling ice to to one of my (laughs) mates. So I'm the middleman in that. And in the process of that car being driven around and get done in a row where it gets into a very serious police chase. I'm not driving it. But I'm the one who gets it reported. The person who owned the car dobbed me in. Um, and I get brought in for that over questioning. So now I've now come on their radar for something serious. But a whole bunch of serious events happen. Lots of police chases and ridiculous ones. Dangerous ones. You know, driving around with wheels flat on cars at like doing 150 kilometers an hour You know, cars with no brakes in them. Wow! Just reckless stuff. Mm. Like I've got no regard for my own life at this point. Bo is conceived around 2016-ish. Baby Bo. Um, This is where I decide to leave Sarah anyway. Did ya? Yeah.
0: When she was still pregnant.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Top bloke. I decide for Sarah without really just having giving her choice that you're not cut out for the life I'm building. All right, because mm. this life that I'm building, as I'm about to move to Melbourne now, I'm shifting my detailing business to Melbourne to detail trucks and sell drugs down there. Because I'm, I'm driving down two days a week to get drugs and bring back to Odonga. So this seems pointless. I might as well base myself down there. I'm also not the person to guide that child. He was much better off without me. It was like pretty much the, the line of, you know, go find it, go find it. Daddy's going to be better than I am.
0: That's the key. Yeah, that I is think. the key. I'm Dr. filling the fuck out of you right now. But I think it's the self esteem, I think.
1: Regardless well, of what
0: you were actually doing. And it's a self loathing.
1: Just... It's a self loathing. Yes, uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's it's very and it's deep rooted in you. Yes. Because uh there's nothing fun about the shit I was doing either. You're getting fucked over by a yeah. lot of people, a lot of people that like your friends aren't your friends anymore. The friends that I were my best mates when I was twenty one yeah. are now trying to rob me. Yeah. They're setting me up. They're using other people to set me up somewhere so they can take what I've got. That's mm-hmm. that that's where it's got to.
0: We're not quite ready for the road to redemption yet, listeners. After the break, our guest Nathan steps up his life of crime and finds a new passion.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.
0: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10%
1: on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... Bo's just been born. I'm not around for the birth, right? Like I go to the birth, I'm asleep because I've been cooked all week. Not a good thing. And I left like within an hour of him being born. Finally got everything set up in Melbourne. Not really thinking too much about Bo. Uh, it hasn't hit me that bit. It hits me later how much of a piece of shit I am and how like and where it took me to emotionally. It was terrible. But at this point, I'm just with another girl. Got a shed down in Melbourne. I've just recreated another system in, all, in Melbourne in a different place that I can get up to all sorts of stuff down here that lasted about a week and on a run back up to Adonga to drop gear off I've um pulled into an APCO servo in Sarah's car I don't know what she was driving around in but I took her car and I had false plates on her but I'd forgotten that I had false plates on I was pulled into the survey, and the police were in the survey go to drive out with they stop jump out rip the keys out of ignition and grab me uh, and I'm done. I'm in the divvy van in 30 seconds and there is so much in that car, so much incriminating, paraphernalia in that car. And I'm like, fuck. Because of that original driving charge I mentioned later, uh, earlier, I'm on a police bail. I can't get bail again. In the end, I did four weeks on remand and got released on a corrections order. So this is where I'm like, it's an opportunity to network.
0: Mm.
1: See where I can meet you. I've got no intention to change. Yep, yep. This this is just another part of, this is like paying tax for a criminal. Right.
0: So who Uh, else is in? Who's around?
1: Yeah, yeah. You meet a few people, you know, spend a long time networking, getting phone numbers, worked the system hard because I knew I wasn't going to probably be there very long. Go down on a corrections order. So i got to report to corrections, do drug tests and shit. Moving into Melbourne to start selling drugs is a different game. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 you're,
1: yeah. You're a very small fish down here.
0: Yeah, yeah, big pond and, and, and lots of blokes who are very seriously set up here.
1: Yeah, yeah, and one, and some that are way craftier than the blokes I'm dealing with in Orbrunonga. So I get done a couple of times and you know, get fucking shafted. Mm. And um, by this stage, I am probably getting a little bit violent. Walking around armed to go and sort something out is now kind of usual.
0: Mm.
1: Once again, no regard for if I died or not.
0: So as an outsider, I'm thinking at this stage, well, Nathan's going to jail. All things considered, I'm thinking he's got outstanding charges. I can just see the pattern emerging. Like He's just escalating his behavior anyway. He doesn't give a fuck that he's on remand. And he's actually stepping up his activities. He's now walking around armed and stealing cars. Feels like he wants to go to jail. I don't know. What can I tell you?
1: Connor kind of did want to go back. Even before I went the first time, I wanted to go. Yeah. I wanted to, don't want to go there. I wasn't on the run anymore. Yeah. Could fucking relax for the first time in months. So I start pinching cars. Every day, this is my new career path in Melbourne. Uh, if you if you're willing to go and pinch cars, which is a handful, there's a few people that are. You're highly highly valued because drug dealers need lots of stolen cars, um, and criminals need lots of stolen cars.
0: They do. They really do. It's yeah.
1: a highly valued thing, and um, it then turns into strategy. Um, you know, planning it, ripping off car yards. Getting uniforms to look like a certain, like a, an authority who's allowed into a rental car yard, so you can drive cars out of there. Like it's now planned, pre-planned, premeditated. It's a system, right? And in well, this age I don't know where to live. The shed's gone. The shed's
0: gone.
1: I don't know. I'm living hotel to hotel, sleeping in stolen cars. Right. Now three months. I got out on that corrections That's order in, in, in yep. September yep. by Christmas Day. I'm arrested again in Aubrey. Right. Christmas morning, Bo's first Christmas. I think I'm doing the good dad thing, going and buy him a toy the day before with the very little money I had left, drive up there in a stolen car, get a hotel room to stay at until it's dark, Till it's light because we get up there about midnight and fucking and dumb situation and there's this the same girl too that, that was with me that night at the, uh, the petrol station. She's been fucking in trouble with this hotel before because the, she rented a room there and got trashed but her car was against her so she's blackmarked this hotel and we use her card for the deposit. And so the sun's coming up and I've just been smoking nice all night, about to go see Bo, and I drop a couple of Equis because that's what you do. Yeah, Christmas. And I'm blowing out a bit at the door, got the pipe in my hand, just fucking pretty cooked, and the door knocks and it's like housekeeping. I'm like, no, no, we're fine. And then they go, it's the police, and they just fucking put the door out and I've got the pipe in my hand, I've got a bag full of like lots of car keys, cash, drugs over on the bed, no shirt on, no shoes on. They drive me down all the way through this, to the main foyer and the police station. And they're going, we know you drove, driving, man. I go, no, I caught the train. Anyway, they go put me in the divvy van out in the car park and they drive around the car park, clicking the keys until the car unlocks. Awesome. this car's done a lot. I couldn't get let go of this one. It was me, Eleanor. So I get done. It's Christmas Day. I'm in the Orby police station. And that's a whole nother kettle of fish being in, being over the border. That car, I don't know, I guess they've run the VIN on it. And then they must have contacted Melbourne CIV mm-hmm. and they want to question me over another car, the one I got chased from the hotel in. So this now links up. So the Albury police are going, well, Melbourne CIB also want to talk to you and we're going to question you about it and relay the information back to them. I'm thinking, fuck, I'm not going home today. But the sergeant there must have felt sorry for me. He gave me bail to the New South. But I assume Victoria must have wanted me more. But they've let me wander. Get out of bed six o'clock on Christmas night and mum comes pick me up. <laughs> okay, drop O's toy to him. Sarah just grabs it and slams the door in my face. <laughs> Get a lift back to Melbourne because I don't want to be up here. But I've pretty well said I'm going to pull the pin now. Because now I know I'm probably wanted down in Melbourne too. Probably time to clean my act up. So I decided to clean my act up. But I pinch one more car because I don't have a car to drive around in. So I decided to clean my act up and go to work. So that's my best chance of like <laughs> getting away without doing too much time. Because only well, I, only I court, know what I've done.
0: Yeah. Once you go to court, it's, you're starting to sort of trying to get your shit together for court now to go, oh, he's got yeah. a job. Yeah. He's been doing, you know, how for I this many months. I
1: know the prerequisites Then the solicitor needs yeah. to get me off something. Yeah. Or get me less time anyway. Mm. So I'm trying to do that, which doesn't last, doesn't work very well. But because I've been pinched, they've now got an address on me. So warrants start rocking up. Wodonga are ringing me going, we, we've we got warrants for you. You need to come in. <laughs> that's not fucking happening. Broadmeadows are calling me, Altona Police Station is calling, they've all got my phone up I and mean, they're ringing me. Oh, I'm answering them. I get summonses for the Broad Meadows ones, but I had to go into Werribee to pick up a bunch of court paperwork. Um, and the deal was I had to go in the police station, I thought this is a fucking setup. But there was no way around it. I spoke to my solicitor, they I had at the time, he said, look, they can't really arrest you. Even if they do, you just fucking say nothing. Simple. Right. So I go in there and get the paperwork and they don't arrest me. I'm not running. But I have to give them an address of where I'm staying. Most of the time, I'm sleeping in motel rooms. When I ran out of money, I'm sleeping in stolen cars. And there was a small period of time where I was in a share house in Williams Landing. So I gave them that address stupidly, thinking I'm doing nothing wrong because I'm just working at this point. But I'm still driving around in a stolen car, dropping, walking walking up to the police station to pick up paperwork in a stolen car. Right. Parked across the road, though. Yeah. So they rock up. And this is where it all ends in the end. Um, They rock up to arrest me because now I've got an address. I walk out of the house one day to go to work. And a fucking police car rolls up the street, tries to block me in in that stolen car. And they're trying to rip the door open and I just took off. Within five minutes, the helicopter's out. They're banging on the door, saying we come back with a warrant. I've already fucked off. Um, so from that point on there I'm on the run. And this is January sometime. So I've had just run back up to Aubrey that night in the dark. And then that's just sparks a whole series of fucking events for the next seven days. Multiple police chases in five days.
0: Why didn't you just give yourself in then? Like
1: what? No, no, no. I was getting to court.
0: Yeah, but that's what I mean. I you were still going to gonna go to court. I had I had things, I had
1: things, to, do. things to do. Okay, sure. I had to see Bo. I, yep. I had to make enough money to also apply for bail. Okay, right. Uh, Sixteen hundred bucks to do a bail application. Okay. I had that lined up in a detailing job. Okay, I up, get it. In, yep. up in up in Aubrey. So I had to finish that job.
0: Yeah.
1: At this point, I'm riddled with health conditions too. Yeah. I'm in hospital for toxicity. I've got like toxins coming out the pores of my skin. They put me on a drip all the time. Um, that happened like three times, so I'm fucked at this point. Like yeah. I'm fucked. my health's cooked.
0: Because once they get a hold of you, they're putting you in jail. Yeah,
1: right? yeah. So yeah. you've
0: got to get all this stuff done before.
1: Yeah, this is the stress of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like high stress. Yeah. And um, this had probably my body was behaving the way I was. Like I was getting quite sick. I'm arrested in Wodonga at the at the courthouse, but there's no chance of bail. No, mate. Um. <laughs> No, mate, I, they're not letting you out. After no, that. no, I had no idea. And then they're, they're questioning me about all sorts of other stuff that they think I've done. I'm like, I hadn't done it either, this mm-hmm. one. Then so he goes, look, you know, if we're going to get this, this one heard. Detectives go and then we'll walk around to the police station, we'll check in a cell, we'll go and get whatever's out on there on you, we'll lay that out, and if you're going to apply for bail, then go for it. And um, he walks into the cell and he goes, well, fuck me. And there's like there's 45 charges. All <laughs> right. Well, I do not bother with bail then. So in the
0: end, you went to Beechworth Correctional Centre. What was your sentence?
1: Uh, multiple thefts of motor vehicle, possession of false number plates, all this just crap, you know, minor charges. Lots
0: of minor charges. Yeah. So what did they add up to? How many
1: convictions did you get? Uh, with, with the corrections order that was outstanding, mm. that I failed to complete, uh, nine months. Okay. And I got it down to 38 charges. Okay. Which is quite lenient. I was very apprehensive of going to Beechworth, and I was was even more apprehensive once once I got there because it was not for me. Too many fucking rules. I'm conditioned to the two times I've been like the one time before that and the two or three months remand prior to going to Beechworth. I'm behind the wall, so I'm conditioned to how that works, Mm -hmm. and it's quite comfortable. Mm -hmm. You got your mates there, you see every day. Beechworth, I know no one. Mm -hmm. You got to learn all this new shit. You got to go to work. Um, you got to muster nine times a day. you got to make your bed every morning. There's this fucking stupid bell and alarm that goes off at 6 a.m. every morning. What's like it's, muster
0: nine, like as in line up and be counted?
1: Yeah. Nine, nine times a day. Nine times, yeah. And then I'm from that area. Mm-hmm. I know that outside that fence that I can see, I know that on the other side of that hill there's a road and that road takes me to mm-hmm. town.
0: Takes you to your mum's place.
1: Yeah, I'm going... Well, and mum come to visit a couple of times in that three weeks, and I'm going, I'm probably just going to fucking fuck off. She goes, don't do it. I said, no, I'm like, well, fuck, well, fuck not.
0: Yeah, right. How hard was it to escape?
1: Not overly hard. I don't know why I couldn't stop myself from doing it, but I just need a little bit of justification, and then I did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I started reading star signs in the paper by this stage. Yeah. And I was reading mine most days. Mm-hmm. And I went to the library the day I was thinking of doing it. And at the bottom of it, it said, run free. <laughs>
0: oh, bullshit. <laughs>
1: no shit. I tore it out, kept it.
0: Leo, just run free, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was along those lines. Mm, well, All right. Fucking do it. And then this, like, that sealed it.
0: And how'd you do it? Over the wall? Under the wall?
1: Oh, there's no wall. There's just fences there. Is it, oh, is it a prison farm or something? Yeah, yeah, prison farm. Yeah. Okay. So I waited till after the, like, there's a ride on dark muster. Yeah. But you're allowed out for a bit still while it's dark before they lock in. So I go and get a bag full of stuff I've packed. I go and wait in the Koori Garden. It's where the Torres Strait Islanders and Aboriginals to go and do their spiritual stuff. And just that's their spot. I go and wait in there because I know they're going to do a perimeter check after muster. I wait about 15, 20 minutes and I go down to the footy oval and I wait there for a minute and I can't see anything. It's pretty dark at this point. And then I run through the, the little farm gate that takes you to one of the farm factories I run up to the top of the hill. And I know that on the side of that hill is the main road and I can follow that into town then. I got some sense of direction then. And I get to the top of that fucking hill and here's two screws doing a perimeter check like 200 metres from me. I'm like, oh, fuck. There's big rocks just near me. So I turn around, I drop them in the rocks. I'm pretty puffed. you got to run up a hill. And they go, mate, what are you doing? They go, this is out of bounds at this time of night. And I'm like, "Oh, I said, I and just got here a couple of weeks ago, which is true. Like I'd run up in there every night to train. Now, when I first got there, they're doing. There's like all these screws being brought into the little training centre. It's like a there's a, a stadium next to the gym, and they're doing like a training in there. So they're training a bunch of new police, new officers mm. to work there. That hap- that starts when I get there. So these tyres are new. So they're like, okay, let's just go down to the slot and we'll strip you, all right? So they strip search me in the slot, and all they're interested in finding out about is where the tobacco's coming from.
0: Yeah, right. And
1: I'm like, I don't smoke, mate. I said, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Anyway, I convinced them to let him let me go <laughs> back out there. But I know they're going back to where I was, right? Just because they think they're thinking I'm picking up contraband. So they're going back there to check. Mm. So I walk back out in the jail and I gather my thoughts quickly, going to my room. And I'm like, fuck, I'm not. They're going to go back up there. They're going to find my stuff. I'm not getting done half doing this. Mm. I'm fucking going. So I go back to the Kuri Garden, grabbed the stuff because it's so quiet out there. I can hear them talking on the radio and they've called me to movement control, which is the main. Reception, where you report to, they've then called an emergency muster ah, because I don't report. Genius. You've got three op. Yeah. Whether you've, it doesn't matter what you've done, you could be at work training. Mm. If you hear your name over the speaker, you've got three opportunities before. If they don't say, if they say more than three times, you don't report to moving control. You're done. Mm. That's a strike. Yeah. So after I get called three times and I don't roll and I don't call in, the the bells going off. That doesn't take very long. Because already got a pretty good idea of what I'm up to. Yep. So I didn't get very far. I'm over, only over the first by wire fence, and I can hear a bell going off, which is probably the muster bell the first time. But once I've done the emergency muster, which takes them about 10 minutes, I'm already into the paddocks and gone. But I've wigged out at this point. I don't know where I am because it's pitch black out in the paddocks. Yeah. And every noise spooks you. So there's cattle and shit in these paddocks, and they're moving and rustling, and I'm like...
0: You're scaring the shit out of them too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so I'm in, I'm hiding long enough for the police to turn up and they're spotlighting for me. So I can see where the road is because they're doing a, they're constantly running back and forth on this on these two roads. One's a dirt track that runs near your farmhouse, one's the main road that runs to the jail. So I look for the one that's running up and back down Allen's flat road near the jail. And I'm waiting. I mean like, they're gonna give up eventually. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm like kind of timing without having any sense of time how long it's taking them to do the full lap up and back. So when I say go back one time, I'm like oh, that's enough time for me to get to the other side of that road and they can't see me in the tree line then. This one side's forestry, one side's open. It's across the road into the forestry and I follow that all the way into town, what feels like six or eight hours. It wasn't in there, it was only an hour. Mm. Felt like a long time. It's pretty cold at this point. It's like April, Sarah's birthday, the exact day of her birthday. Yeah. It's forever known as Beechworth Day, wouldn't you say were birthday tour? <laughs> I know a friend whose dad lives in Beechworth, so I'm trying to get to that house. To his house. So I find my way to that house, um, in my prison greens. Knock oh, on his Dicky would love that. Knock on his back door. Dickie doors. would
0: have been thrilled to bits to see you there in your prison greens.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He opens the door and goes, like, what have you fucking done, mate? Sit down, sit down, it's cold.
0: Oh.
1: Gives me 40 bucks.
0: Oh, bless him. <laughs> Let's
1: me use his phone. Oh. Um, I ring mum for my phone because I can still remember her number because mm. um, you've got to type it in on the jail phone every day. She already knows, police have rang her, but it's also hit the news, local news by this point. Yeah. So she sends someone to come pick me up who will remain nameless. I go back to her house for the night. And I can't sleep because I assume they're kicking the door at any point, but at this point I've got a plan. I don't know where I'm going. Anyway, and the morning comes and no one's rocked up. I am have slept for 40 minutes. I go down to the back shed where some of my clothes are kept, chuck them clothes on, I get a burner phone. I'm walking around town pretty much all day. No real plan, debating whether to run to Queensland and really go on with it or whether just to go and hear myself in because all day they're ringing mum. They know she knows where I am. And ringing my, ringing my sister but they've started searching houses for me. they searched two places that I'm known to go to. They've assumed I've ran to Melbourne. They're doing this big thing on the news, like, oh, he's on the run. He's going to Melbourne. I'm like, making a big deal. I'm like, fuck. like, when I seen it later on the news, I'm like, fuck, he blew it up a bit. Like,
0: You're not a murderer. I
1: didn't even spend the 40 bucks. I, <laughs> I just fucking walked around all day debating what to do.
0: Yeah.
1: Went to Sarah's house because I kind of was getting pretty run down by this day. Just at the end of the day, the adrenaline started wearing off and I'm getting a bit emotional. mm and I'm getting a bit like, erratic. Mm. And so I go to Sarah's house because I want some pictures of Bo because I've lost all that stuff. I packed all that stuff in the bag. I know I'm not getting that stuff back. So I know that I'm going back st- at some point. I want all the pictures and stuff of Bo. And she comes home and flips it. Not even, it's gone over my head that it's her birthday. And she's had to switch her phone off because everyone's ringing and wanting to know what this fucking idiot's done. So she flips it. She's not fucking seeing Bo. I'm for the life here. And anyway, she convinces me or tells me. Then I'm going to air myself in. I'm like, right, I'm gonna I'll go and have a shower and you can take me to the Budonga police station. And they rock up while I'm having a shower and they rest me on their front mailbox and fucking border mails there, taking photos and carrying on. This really unique situation happens where I'm in the cells watching myself on the news where they're saying I've been recaptured. And I'm just pacing back the and forth in the cells, still going, still pretty high on adrenaline. Mm. I remember watching myself on the screen from the Orby police cells, and it was like a little concrete thing you sleep on with a couple of blankets. And I just looked at the TV and it's like, oh, just fucking hit me what I've done. How much trouble I've just caused and how much shit I'm probably in. I just fall on the bed. Go back, go to sleep. The next day, is like an extradition hearing, get extradited to Wodonga because I had time still home in there. So that's priority.
0: And did the futility of the entire exercise of the escape dawn on you at any time during that?
1: Well, I'd, uh, something really, f- like I just went somewhere else after that. Mm. Didn't speak for like two weeks. There's two sides of the cells in Madonga. When I finally got back over there,
0: mm.
1: there's this young bloke in one side, and they're going, "Oh, someone you know's in there." I like, who the fuck's that? And they go, Some- "Someone says his name." I don't fucking know him. I said, "No, I don't want to be with F- anyone." So put me in the fucking other side. It's where the female cells are, but there's never any females in there really. Mm. So I said, "I want that side on my own." And I just paced the cells for like five days doing fucking push-ups. Mm. Didn't speak. They come to the door, and I wouldn't fucking speak to them.
0: What was going on?
1: Probably the first time I'd realised
0: consequence.
1: Mm. Jail wasn't a consequence before that. Even the months, the two or three the three months I think I was in before the escape were no consequence. There was a little bit of this creeping in in beachwear, but probably only because I had no mates around. Mm. I didn't know anybody. I just felt a bit isolated. And the fact that it caused so much trauma for me, family and Sarah, like so much grief.
0: Mm. So was that a turning point? Yeah. Psychologically?
1: Yeah, psychologically it was, definitely. Yeah. Um, and blockers then, you're not going back to Beechworth, right? So you're going to maximum.
0: Yeah. They're not letting you back to the farm after that. So where'd you go after that?
1: Port Phillip. Mm. And because you're on, you're an escape rating now, so you can't leave the unit for anything. And also you get chucking the worst of the worst. So you get Scarb North, which is two, one of the two worst units besides the slot. Mm-hmm. You usually go to the slot. I don't know how I miss the slot. That's mm-hmm. the turning point from yeah. everything to exercise psychologically understanding my behavior. Went real deep and dark, I suppose. I didn't talk to anyone. I met a bloke who was like an elite athlete, so he knew everything about exercise and he taught me so much about exercise. But it dawned on me, he taught me, like, we were doing stretching and yoga in there Hmm. and I'm starting to get the kick from lifting weights and he's taught me correct technique and tempo and all these things that I teach now. He's taught me all this stuff in jail. So that really, like, because I'm doing this twice a day because I'm really inside my own head at this point.
0: A lot of time to yourself.
1: Yeah. Now that I'm a bit older... Maintain testosterone is an issue because I've depleted it over the years, but that started at about twenty-one or probably younger, probably even younger. Like the whole time I'm taking drugs, I'm just depleting myself of dopamine. Now my dopamine sensitivity is so fucking high, I've got to do extreme. I've got to, it takes me a lot to get stimulated,
0: mm-hmm. which means that depression is a really big risk, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and then it, it, it leaks in. That's just the, that's the cost I've paid. I'm like how I live now. I read a book. I drink tea. Mm-hmm. I meditate. Yeah, right. <laughs> pretty much doing that in jail, apart from the meditation, thinking about what I'm going to do when I get out. I've mm. got another six or so months to go. So this is the turning point. Mm. Um, it happens very quickly. Like This is just me who I am. Like I go from one extreme to another very, very quickly. Because so once I decide I'm doing something, that's it. It's happening. By this stage, I decide I'm not going back to jail. I'm done about enough. During that time, poor Philip, pretty early into that little, like when I get to poor Philip. But I've got another six months to go, so you've got to get through that. So I find things to keep me occupied, courses, uh, as many as I can do because I can't work. I'm allowed to work in there. And I do a behavioral change course because I know I've got extending charges that are kind of serious in New South Wales. I'm probably getting extra dotted. i not going straight home. I'm probably getting picked up by the police from Port Phillip to go straight to New South Wales cells. So I'm doing. I'm thinking. How many things can I do? They're going to present well to go to court because I don't have any time to buy when I get released here to buy up goodwill. So I need to build goodwill in here. Mm. So I find this behavioral change course, which you've got to apply to do, run by the church. Seven week course. I think you go once a week from memory, and it is the most moving experience you will ever do. Really? Yeah. It's a very. You've got to fill out two pages of essay to get in there. You've got to explain why you want to get there, and at this point. I'm, I've taken to writing letters, not giving them anyone. I'm just writing emotions out. So like journaling, and there's all this emotion and shit pouring out I'm writing it. Um, so I use that to fill the form and I get accepted. And um, you do the seven weeks, you learn things like values, what they actually are, how they interpret your behavior, traits, all these kind of things. And that probably is the... Dawning point where it all dawns on me, what my job is as a parent, like how much that actually means to me. Mm. Um, I still talk to that lady now, Die, who ran that. Still have her phone number, have her on socials. We chat every now and again. The most beautiful lady. Like, pretty much all the boys in that course are all crying by the end of it. Mm. I got released, got home that afternoon, slept at mum's, went and handed myself in the next day, faced court. Just through pure luck or the universe. They re bailed me. Um, so that bought me four months of time. I kept adjourning and adjourning and adjourning to buy myself some goodwill. Mm-hmm. Took both go to of parenting classes. Mm-hmm. Was working on weekends, getting like pain from my own drug tests every week to prove I was clean because the drugs were going to be an issue. because like, there's so much drug crime in the New South Wales charges. Most of that was a possession charge plus a high speed chase. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly, you don't drive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, no driving. <laughs> working on the weekends. Like started my detailing business up again, but just on weekends, just did bow. So
0: you didn't go again. So so no more time. Yeah.
1: Nah. So
0: now all matters are-
1: got, got a suspended sentence, 15 months on that charge in New South Wales. Got given no reporting conditions by the time I got to court. It was very close. Like it was pretty close to, to going again. I assumed I was going. Mm. Kind of wanted to go mm-hmm. a little bit. I hadn't done time in New South Wales yet and I kind of wanted to see what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest- Sure. Um, just finished the jail career off because I had nothing. like I didn't really like being out. Like Everything I knew was gone. It wasn't like I loved being out. Yeah. Everything I knew, everything that made me feel good, even though those are things of substance, uh, things of material and shit, like shit people, drugs, all these things that made me feel good, they're gone.
0: Yeah, I mean- My
1: status, it's gone.
0: Living a different kind of life is a big ask, isn't it? Like You'd lived a certain kind of life your entire life. So if you've made a decision, I'm not going to do that anymore- Good decision. Great. It's it's like deciding anything. It's like deciding. Okay, I'm gonna eat healthy from now on, yeah. starting tomorrow. Yes. And then you wake up tomorrow and you go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Ah, actually, doing it is so is daunting. It's new, like how
1: new I, things you got to learn. You got yes. to learn. If it's we talk like you learn how to cook.
0: That's right. Learn how to shop.
1: Yeah. You learn how to function differently again. Yeah. That on alone is it's daunting. You Let had to
0: learn a whole new way to live.
1: Yeah. The, the thing it does to your self esteem when you've got to ride a bike everywhere <laughs> wow, is fucking terrible.
0: That's amazing because you could just pinch any car you wanted to. So that must have been hard to fight.
1: Yeah, because I had an, I, uh, so I got to spend two and a half years riding a bike around in the dead of winter. I got a little bit of community service as part of the suspended sentence, doing that in the freezing cold. I used to ride my bike across town and go wash trucks all day to make a little bit of money right home it's hard work doing what you committed yourself to do no social contact with anybody just because didn't have any network or friends left took a while for anyone to really want to reach out and by then i'm like so socially anxious that Mm. i didn't want to be around people anyway i see Bo once a week build that up slowly Mm. until i'm ready to take on more
0: do you feel like you've crossed a threshold where you're confident that you're doing it you've crossed the threshold where you've. Scared you might relapse.
1: Oh, ages ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh yeah, long time ago. Like I've started my detailing business and sold it since then.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: Yeah, brought half of the gym with my best mate Reese. And we're building that business. And yeah, I've got a plan to start another one. Great. What's come out of all this? Yeah, I and mean, all the learning in the last five years, the the emotional, the spiritual journey, all those things have all now lined up to where I can mentor and use that to help people
0: as i said earlier our guest nathan is the owner and director of peak shape gym he also does mentoring and youth group work and you can find his contact details in the show notes to this episode if you need support after listening to this podcast you can call lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1 respect on 1 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 92 76 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.